Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Remember, there are only six days left for you to help minimize program interruptions and limit or stop the spring on-air fundraiser here at WDET. If you go to WDET.org now and make your gift, you will become a DET team member. And then we want you to become a Team DET recruiter as well by telling two friends that you support independent journalism, great music, and conversation right here on WDET. Remember that shampoo commercial from the 70s? And they told two friends, and they told two friends, and they told two friends. That is the idea here. Spread the word and help grow the team here at WDET. Make your gift now and help uh, stop that spring on-air fundraiser. Uh, if we reach our goal before we end the next six days. A little later in the program, we're going to talk with Dr. Mary Schmidt-Campbell. She's the president of Spelman College and a fine arts scholar. We're going to talk about the idea of black portraiture, the idea of black imagery, and how it encompasses ideas like possession and identity and race. We wanted to talk about this uh, in light of the Obama portraits a few weeks ago. Uh, Dr. Campbell was not available then, but she is available now. She's giving a speech next week at Harvard about the idea of identity and black portraiture. We're going to have a really interesting conversation about that subject with her today. That will get started at about half past the hour. But first today, on any given night in America, 53,000 young people are in some form of lockup. And nearly 60% of those young people are black and Latino. This is where America's problems with over-incarceration begin, and typically they only get worse from there. A new podcast from WNYC Studios called Caught is about youth and crime, and it features the stories of young people whose lives get changed forever by the early interactions they have with the criminal justice system. Here's a preview of Caught. Here's a game about climbing up and sliding down. It's called Shoots and Ladders. You know the game. You spin the wheel and fate sets your course. You either get a boost up in life. Ah, you're going up, up, up the ladder. Or you get shoved down the chute. Okay, going down. First one to climb to 100 wins. If only it were just a game. There is no better metaphor for how society deals with kids who screw up. Or more to the point, how some people get to learn from their mistakes and others, they get shoved down the chute of cops and courts and jails. That divide, that stark sorting of innocence and irredeemable guilt, it starts very young. Well, I first came here when I was like 13, when I was littler. And it was, I don't know, at first it was like scary. I wouldn't even wish like jail on nobody like Cause it's not a nice place to be. I'm Kai Wright, and this is Caught. It's a podcast about crime, youth and crime. But there's no murder mystery here, no whodunit. We're going to tell you a bunch of stories about young people who are not innocent. And yet, depending on their zip code or skin color or just plain luck, they face very different consequences for their guilt. For millions of them, once they make contact with the criminal justice system, that's it. Their course is set. Where's you there? 
Yeah. What did you tell us last night? Because I was scared. It wasn't until after my sister left and I looked at my hands and I realized that, oh my God, what have I done? I was always getting lucky or, you know, things just happened to work out or people were giving me second chances constantly. It's literally the stupidest crime that you could ever commit. I'm, I'm kind of dumbfounded now as a relatively intelligent 16-year-old that if I was choosing to commit a crime, like, that's the crime I would commit. America incarcerates more people than any country on the planet. And a lot of people are ready to change that fact. But first, we got to understand that it starts young, at the moment when kids get caught, stuck in a system that will shape the rest of their lives. Every day I wake up, every time I go to sleep, I think about being locked up. I be having dreams. And what happens in the dreams? I get locked up, and I'm doing time. And I remember standing in front of the judge and seeing everybody inside the courtroom. And I just picture myself being remanded. I'm, they putting those tight handcuffs on me and bring me to the back room and lock me in the cell. How often do you have these thoughts? Every day. Every day I wake up. The host of Caught is Kai Wright, who's written and reported on racial injustice throughout his career, both for public radio and for publications such as the nation. Kai joins us now to talk about the podcast and the perpetual cycle of cops, courts, and jails that snails, snares so many young people here in America. Kai Wright, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. So let's talk about the making of this series. What drew you to this subject of juvenile justice? There are a lot yeah. of conversations going on in America right now about over-incarceration of the adult population and how that skews along racial lines. But the idea of looking just at young people, just at kids, uh, talk about what, what made this stand out to you. Yeah. I'd say there's two things. I mean, for me, it's, you know, part of our conversation around criminal justice reform, certainly here in the last few years with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, it it depressingly and necessarily so often is driven by the climax of the story, right? Mm -hmm. And we, we, we enter the conversation at the moment that there is, frankly, a dead body um, or where there is a particularly horrific event. Um, and that's where we start talking about it. Um, and one of the things that's clear when we look at some of those cases, we're always talking about young people. You know, I mean, it's this that's where the collision between cops and the criminal justice system and black America and brown America comes with the most force and most violence it, it is with young people. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and so this is the real collision point. But we but again, we start at the end of the story. And what excited me about this storytelling opportunity and what we were trying to do in Caught is going back to the beginning of the story um, and and saying that, you know, in some of those young people you listen to, you know, they had their first encounters with the cops at age 10, age 12, you know, um, and, uh, and, and, and in dramatic ways that, that really set the course of their lives that early on, you know, and so by the time they get to be 18, 25, you know, get to be Mike Brown's age or Freddie Gray's age are the age of some of these young people that we know about. And they are in the sort of position of Freddie Gray running from police who just assumed that he was guilty. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he spent 10, 10 years by that point um, navigating around that kind of environment. In and so and that's what, of, yeah. 
yeah. in and out of, and even in and out of lockup, but also just in and out of this cat and mouse game with with cops that surround his their their lives. Um, and so I was excited to be able to go back to the beginning of the story and 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 talk about it from that spot. Yeah, yeah. Um, when when you think about kids though, and kids who are interacting with the criminal justice system, one of the things that that I think stands out is the question of of how they are changed by that interaction, right? Yeah. Uh, if you're 15 or 16, if you're 13 or, or 12, uh, that first interaction with police, that first time you are detained, uh, how much does it change these kids in terms of just the idea that they are kids? Does it make them uh, strangely more mature, uh, or does it create a, a, a different kind of immaturity that you'd see uh, with with kids who are not caught in that in that cycle yet? I think it's both and. I mean, I'd say a couple things. We we in talking to sociologists and researchers, and you know, I mean, they they can talk about the ways in which just quite measurably these interactions are changing young people, um, both their, um, in, there's, in some cases, I think there's some brain science discussion about it, um, but also um, just obviously their emotional and mental health. Um, one of the things that really stood out for me as we told these stories, I mean, and, and in the podcast, this, this, we really focused on these are stories told by the young people. The young people are, are really driving the narrative here. We really wanted to put them and their experience at the center of the story. And all of them are still, frankly, on navigating the system. They're still, frankly, in crisis. And what and but it, it, but as they go through the crisis and they talk about it, you see them have these moments of reflection, um, and they're and they're sort of asking themselves the very question you're asking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, how mm-hmm. much has this changed me? How much has this mapped who I am? Um, and 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 to a person, they 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 seem to conclude that it that it has irreparably changed them. Um, and you know, and part of it is that we have to remember that. It, all of these young people that we're talking about in here, none of them, we're not arguing that they didn't need help. They're, these are people who have uh, ex- suffered abuse, sometimes mm-hmm. physical and sexual, um, people who might have drug and alcohol pro- addictions, um, people who have mental health problems, sometimes quite minor and that are typical for teenage lives and sometimes major. Um, but in all cases, what they don't get is any, they, they get no help until they arrive inside the criminal justice system. Um, and that is, I think, one of the most profound and sad things that's come out of reporting this for me is, is really making contact with that, is that there are all of these children out there that desperately need help. And this, and they live in neighborhoods either because of their class or their race or both, where the only place that they get help is when they end up in collision with cops and courts. Right. And then, and then that help necessarily comes with punishments and labels that in many cases make counter counteract against the help that they get (laughs) so that so that people go into the system with mental health challenges that because they're in the system they start getting some support for their mental health challenges but being in the system makes their mental health worse at the same time so it's a really vicious evil cycle yeah yeah Uh, this is detroit today on 1019 wdet i'm stephen henderson and my guest is kai wright he's the host of a new podcast from WNYC called 
Caught, which looks at uh, youth and crime and features the stories of young people whose lives get changed forever by early interactions with the criminal justice system. We are talking about that work and the general problem of how early some people end up interacting with the criminal justice system, particularly black and Latino youth. Sixty percent of the people at any given time, young people in lockup in this country, are black and Latino, reflecting, of course, greater inequalities in the criminal justice system that we see among adults. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Were you ever arrested as a minor? Do you know someone who was arrested as a minor for doing something that might, in retrospect, seem quite stupid? And tell us about what the experience has been. What has been the experience that you've seen with young people and the criminal justice system uh, right here in southeast Michigan, for instance. Uh, lots of instances where we see young people getting themselves into trouble and then uh, having the trajectory of their lives changed pretty dramatically. Uh, as always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today, and we will work you into the conversation. Also, uh, if you want to call and tell us what you think about uh, the policy in our state with regard to juvenile lifers. Uh, here in Michigan, our attorney general has been really skeptical about that Supreme Court decision that says that's an inappropriate sentence for people whose brains have not fully formed. Uh, he has been reluctant to go back in and deal with those uh, those inmates uh, and, and reconsider those sentences. Is that the right way to be doing it? Or should we be taking a more aggressive approach in rethinking that kind of sentencing. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, and you can also always go to t Facebook and Twitter, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Um, uh, I, I'm curious, Kai, what you think uh, after doing this work of the current conversation about prison reform, uh, criminal yeah. sentencing re reform, uh, and and again the the racial aspect of this uh, that number sixty percent are black and Latino among uh, young people in lockup at any given time that's a, that's a staggering staggering figure. Uh, yeah. Where is that? Where is that part of the conversation in this debate about about criminal justice reform? Well, you know, first off, I'd say, I mean, I think that number emotionally probably doesn't surprise any of us who mm -hmm. are in black families. Sure. You know, I mean, because I, I, one of the experiences I've had in making this podcast and almost every time I've done anything on criminal justice, you know, every time I talk to a, to a I'll talk about it with a black person, you know, one of my colleagues mm -hmm. uh our, in our partner publications, in the street, anywhere, the, the immediate response is like, oh, I got a story for you. That's my nephew, my uh -huh. cousin, my uh -huh. brother, my sister. Like it is, Almost all of us have somebody in our lives and our families who have been caught up in something of this nature, which just shows uh, the breadth uh, and the aggressiveness of the system and just how de definitionally, definitionally racist it is. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not coincidentally 60% black and Latino. Um, it is by design Quite that way. Quite intentionally, right. And, and I think that is an important, so to, then to get to the answer to your question, I think what is most striking about both this piece of criminal justice reform and all of our conversations about criminal justice reform is how limited our imagination is in the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and 
uh, we had a launch event here in New York for the for the podcast, and we had an activist um, named Miriam Kaba on, who does a lot of prison reform stuff. And, and and the way she'd put it, I thought was profound, is you know that we have to acknowledge we we run around saying that it's a broken criminal justice system. It's not a broken criminal justice system. Just criminal justice system functions in the way that it has been designed to function. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It, it functions quite well to design. And so we need to be in a space where we say, okay, well, this we're using, we're dealing with something that was designed to oppress black and brown people. And so it can't be reformed. We got to start over. Uh, and I think wow. we don't have, en- we don't make enough space in our conversation for that, for saying, okay, what if we started over? What if we abolished it? What if we said there are huge Areas of life that for that is specific to black and brown people that the criminal justice system touches that it just does not need to touch at all. It shouldn't exist for. What if we did that? What if we started there? And then we would be in a place where we could say, okay, there are problems. People do do harm to each other and themselves. What can we do about that? How can we fix that? What can how can we provide help that 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 deals with that harm? Mm -hmm. And becoming to edit from from that fresh perspective instead of from the perspective of how do we adapt this system that was built to do harm into something that would be helpful. Yeah. I mean, you have no you have no challenge selling that idea to me uh, and, and maybe to a lot of our listeners. But. You know, if I go say that, for instance, to the attorney general of, of the state of Michigan, Bill Schuette, someone who wants to be our governor uh, and, and who has not just uh, not just presided over the criminal justice system here, but presided mm-hmm. over it in a way that preserves these these systems of inequality that you're talking about. Um, you know, I mean, at some level, I guess people might say uh, that's sort of a naive position to take because it's not something that that so much of the population and particularly so much of the population that's in control of the criminal justice system uh, is willing to even countenance. Uh, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, I am a 44-year-old gay man. I was alive at a time when it would have been naive that I could get married. Right, uh, right. Where yeah, you would have point. said to, if, if to say that aloud would have been an insane thing to say. Mm-hmm. I was an adult, politically active man. Uh, in that time period, uh, and we've changed that because we said it aloud. Um, and the, the the number of things we can say that about, there's a long list. Um, and so a part of reform is saying aloud the things that are suppo- that we're not supposed to say. Sure. Um, we have to expand our imagination on these questions, and that's part of the work that I hope we're doing with this podcast, is trying to expand our imagination on the question. Because as long as we're debating with people like the Attorney General of Michigan who wants to fight with science mm-hmm. over whether or not, I mean, it's, it's an established science. Yeah. This is not debatable science about whether or not teenage brains have developed to the point where it, is, it makes sense to punish them for life for mistakes they've made. So w- as long as we're in a political environment where that's the, the, the confines of the debate, it's always, it, we're never going to get real reform. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, this is, you've had a Supreme Court ruling saying re, un, resentence these children, resentence these people, and yet they're not being resentenced. They are not. <laughs> so, be, so as long as we accept the confines of the debate, in that way, we will always live inside them. And so we have to begin to imagine a conversation that is much broader than the one we're having. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page. 
Put your comments there. Go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Lots of folks lined up to discuss this issue. Let's go to Daryl in Detroit. Daryl, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. How are you doing, Stephen? I listen to your show all the time. Oh, great. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to make a comment about what you were asking. Hold on. Yeah, do you need to turn your radio down there, Daryl? Yep. Okay, Daryl, we'll come back to you. When <laughs> you're there? Yeah, I'm yeah, here. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, well, I wanted to make a comment about what you were saying, being caught up in the criminal justice system. I remember, I'm much older now, but um, I remember being 16 years old. I'm with some high school buddies. I grew up in a predominantly white town, mm-hmm. and um, we were in downtown Port Huron for boat night, and we were just being kids. We hadn't drank anything, hadn't done anything wrong. And they asked us to clear the bridge, so we wanted to be on the other side. So all three of us take off running. Of course, my friends are, one's white, one's Hispanic. Um, and we run to the other side of the bridge. When I get to the other side, the police just grabbed me, um, handcuffed me, and threw me in the back of a police car, then taking me to the jailhouse and locked me up with adults that were drunk and angry. And I remember being, being very scared. And later on, come to find out, the arresting officer was the uncle of one of the kids that I was with. Huh. To show you how unfair that they treated me just because I was black. Right, right. Uh, Daryl, uh, as you say, you're much older now. Can you talk about uh, the lingering effects of that of that incident, if there are any? I mean, are there things that, that you feel uh, like There are other things that you? have happened where yeah. I feel like I was uh, profiled um, that have happened later in life that had more of an effect. That, I was still pretty young. Uh-huh. And I mean, and it opened my eyes to a reality that I didn't know exist because I was raised in a predominantly white environment. Um, my ki- my friends were my friends from school. Where it didn't matter what color they were, and we, you know, you, you know what I'm saying. It, uh-huh. it just kind of didn't matter. So I'm when I'm going through my day to day life, I had no concept of that I'm going to be treated differently because I'm black. Right. Because I hadn't been up to that point. Yeah. So that, it just opened my eyes to that we are treated differently and that I have to be aware. And the older that, that I got, you know, I started to see it more often where I'd be pulled over doing nothing wrong, sure. you know, or yeah. so I, I did yeah. notice things no, like Darryl, that, but it didn't really affect me too badly. Yeah. Daryl, Daryl, thanks very much for the call. Uh, and, and the, the comments, that story is, uh, I think something that, that most African Americans, can think back in their in their time and and think of similar things that that have happened as introductions and, and, to criminal justice. Go ahead, Kai. And notably, it's how Freddie Freddie Gray was killed in it Baltimore for, right. in the exact scenario that that Daryl is describing. Yes, that's he absolutely. He was minding right. his business, and the cops came and started chasing him. And because he ran, they right. they they held him and 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 killed him. Let's go to Mark in Detroit. Mark, welcome to Detroit today. Yes, hi, Stephen. Thanks mm-hmm. for having me. Sure. Um, I hope y'all can hear me pretty good. Uh, yep. I'm at work. I'm a, a mailman, so I make it a little loud. But, <laughs> That's okay. Uh, Go ahead. Um, I just wanted to comment because I, I felt like this was a topic that I have a lot of uh, in, insight on. Uh, I am uh, in my 30s, mid-30s. Um, when I was a young man, uh, I was in the criminal justice system uh, in, back in, uh, in Atlanta. I used to live in Atlanta, and then I moved back. Um, my dad lived in Detroit. So my experience has been uh, in and out of uh, juvenile. And then uh, I was able to uh, pull myself together. My dad helped out getting me back on track. And then I actually went to work for Spectrum Human Services 
to try to help a lot of the young people that mm-hmm. was locked up mm-hmm. in a maximum security uh, facility in Highland Park uh, between uh, Lincoln and Calumet. And then uh, I've also helped out with uh, Christ Child with kids that were uh, uh, homeless and, um, and with Methodists as well. So I've seen many different aspects. Yeah. I also work for the YMCA in Royal Oak helping kids that came from a healthy environment and different things like that. So I think I pretty much ran the whole spectrum yeah, of, yeah. Uh, of that. So. And, and uh, yeah, Mark, as you point out, you're working as a mailman and, and moving on with your life. What was it that you feel like was able to sort of push you in a different direction? Um, well, I would say my faith was number one. Um, I, I gravitated towards uh, my faith while being uh, incarcerated. I actually uh, uh, became a Christian when I was a young man mm-hmm. uh, in Atlanta. Uh, I don't know if you are familiar with Mace. He used to be with a Bad Boy. He was a rapper. Sure. But anyway, yeah. he started a prison um, ministry, huh. and uh, he would go around to different uh, prisons in Atlanta and minister to them. And, you know, I was always, I grew up listening to the music, and I was just really impressed <laughs> by his testimony. Yeah. And yeah. so that, that, that helped change me. Yeah, Mark, that's a, that's a great story. Uh, thanks very much, and good luck on that mail route. I know those are pretty grueling <laughs> during the day, uh, but thanks for calling in. Uh, Kai Wright, I mean, it's, it's a great story that, that Faith somehow uh-huh. redirected Mark, but uh, I, I mean, this may sound a little cliche. I, I don't think Faith is what we can count on here. I mean, this, more, this is more of a policy imperative uh, to, to, to be able to stop uh, that interaction before it happens as opposed to coming behind it and trying to send somebody back onto the onto the onto the right path. And that's right. I mean, and the thing is, so Dwayne Betts is uh, part of the podcast. He's a guy who is an author and a poet. He's a, a, a Yale law school graduate getting his PhD in Yale now and does some juvenile justice advocacy himself. He was arrested for carjacking in 1996 and, and at 16 years old and locked up for nine years. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and now he's, you know, he's, he meets with President Obama. He mm-hmm. is this, you mm-hmm. know, um, impressive human being and everyone in his story like his or a story like Marx, people like to point to and say, oh, see, you know, people can get themselves together after sure. this experience. Yes. And what Dwayne says to that, which I think is really important, is that, no, that's not the lesson. The lesson is that you could have done something different with me when I was 16 years old. That's right. <laughs> that that I succeeded in spite of this. And, it, and I'm not that remarkable, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there's a lot of us who you could have done something different with at 16 instead of me having to spend 10 years in this system and then find my way out of it later. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Kai Wright, host of Caught on WNYC. Thanks for very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having this conversation. Yeah, great conversation. We'll look forward to more of your podcast. Up next, we're going to talk to the president of Spelman College, a historically black institution, about the role and progress of African-American fine art and particularly black portraiture. And don't forget, if you miss any of today's conversation, you don't have to miss out entirely on the show. You can go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. Thank you.